Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The changing sentiment for stocks. Big tech continues to run. Banking fears easing and hopes for a Fed pause keep growing. We'll discuss and debate what exactly that means for your money with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Bill Baruch, Jim Laventhal. Let's check the markets. We're hanging in there. Dow's still good for about 34 points. S&P 500 near one half of 1%. NASDAQ's uh, outperforming as it has been for the entire quarter. In fact, NASDAQ's up 15% now, quarter to date. So, Josh, I go to you first before I bring it on the desk. Do you feel like sentiment has improved for stocks overall? No, I think a lot of the positive uh, breadth is happening back in the large caps and mega caps. And I think if we're talking about stocks overall, I would not say sentiment has improved. Uh, I think you now just have a new leadership group. It happens to be a very widely owned leadership group, which helps move the chains in terms of the index. Um, But this is really a Q's outperforming the S&P. Um, you look at the month of March, 8% versus 2%. That's pretty uh, notable. It is the third month of QQQ outperformance in a row. That is the first repeat monthly outperformance. You have to go back to June through August of 2021. So it's been a while since we've seen this particular group of stocks at the top of the charts. It's nice to see. Uh, I think, the again, these stocks are owned by everyone, so people are enjoying that. Um, but I would not take that and say, hey, everybody loves stocks again, um, because I can show you a lot of pockets in the market where you're seeing uh, uh, struggling uh, still for, for stocks just to, to tread water. So what prevents you from being more positive then, from feeling you're in your own mind that your own sentiment has improved or turned? Well, I think we've had some major uh, issues with some very large banks. The FDIC is probably the last competent government agency there is. It's non-political. The leadership is not on Twitter. Uh, It works as advertised. In 90 years, not a single uh, depositor has lost money when they were insured by the FDIC. Um, And so I think it's been really refreshing to watch them step in, sell one bank, wind down another, uh, and and basically shore up uh, the the situation. And the fact that that has happened, uh, combined with the fact that we've seen a retracement in in, uh, interest rates and treasuries, uh, I think has been really helpful. And that pretty much explains why we're at 4,000. Tell me the story of why that would translate into 4,400 or 4,500 anytime soon. I I really can't picture it. I don't think Mm. we're going to start hearing great things about earnings when the season starts in 10 days or so. Um, And you've already gotten the benefit of of easier interest rates and a falling dollar. What's the next benefit that we're getting here psychologically? 
I don't know where it's coming from. So that's what prevents me from being as constructive as I'd like to be. And I hope to be yeah. wrong. I hope to be able to change well, I mean, my mind. But that's where I am. Even today. our even our resident bull, um, Jim Labenthal, you've grown incrementally more negative of late rather than, you know, more getting more bulled up. Right. You should see the look Steph just gave me. But yes, you're it is true, though. Right. You're accurate. You're accurate in what you say, because I mean, I, incrementally, it's like <laughs> I'm talking about like. Right. That's why hold I, I hold look. on. See, can I fit a paper through that? <laughs> Barely. You really should have seen the look that Steph just shot me. It was not a good look. But you're accurate in what you say. Look, I have to respect what's gone on with the banking system. I have to respect the tightening effect uh, of a credit crunch that is, is starting to unfold right now. And I also have to affect, uh, take account that this Fed and I'm going back to last week's move, I really don't think they get what's going on here, and I think they're going to make a bad situation worse. On the flip side, though, Scott, and this is why you're appropriate to just, you know, put your fingers really close together, there is strong economic activity. We know that. There is strong economic activity here in the U.S., and it's not just, you know, the supply chain on I got you. It's, I mean, bank fears of ease. They're, they're, you know, we are closer to the end, we think, with the Fed than we are the beginning. You know, you can, you can try and string together it. Well, incrementally I, so, more bullish case if you want to. So I catch your tone, I catch your word, and I agree with the tone and words. And that's where I'm saying I do think sentiment is positive, but boy, is it tenuous, okay? Because if I'm going to say something like right now, we talked about this two days ago, Josh was here, you know, uh, cars need to be manufactured right now. They need to be manufactured. We've got 12.2 years as the average age of cars. They're falling apart, and you can see it on the road. Dealer inventories are low. So that needs to happen. It's going to happen, and that's going to near inure to the benefit not just of GM and Ford, but the suppliers, whether it's NXP or Cleveland Cliffs, which almost half of their business is automotive steel. I told you I had dinner with Lorenzo Gonsalves last uh, last night, the CEO. CEO the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs, there's also Boeing. And again, you know, the Boeing will produce planes and deliver them as fast as they can get engines. I'm sure we'll talk about GE later, which is a major point of that. But so, my general point here is economic activity is real and it's strong. Do you feel, Steph, that there's more reason to be positive than not? I mean, Kramer earlier today said there's not enough right now for the bears to hang their hat on. Dr. Michael Burry, obviously of big short fame, tweets this morning, quote, I was wrong to say sell, you know, whenever that last call was within the last few weeks. Um, there it is right here. I was wrong to say sell. Are we wrong to think sell? I mean, like, look, I think there are a lot of moving parts, Scott, right? And we have been in this trading range for a lot of reasons because there's so many uncertainties. And so if the bank situation has calmed down, it has so far, right? But I, I'm not sure we're done with, with the banks, uh, especially some of the weaker regionals. Um, but I don't think it's systemic. And if we can get past that, and we believe the Fed is actually almost done, to your point earlier, which I do think that they are, and the bank system and the problems leads to tighter financial conditions, almost doing the job for the Fed. And then you have a little bit less inflation. You can paint a little bit better picture. Even with tighter credit conditions? I mean, doesn't that just tell you yeah. all of the predictions of just wait? What the Fed has done so far is going to ultimately have an impact. There's no, now it's moving closer because of the credit contraction that you're going to have. There's no question about it. We are going to slow. The big question is, do we slow to recession? If so, market goes down. If we slow to you know, soft landing kind of thing, then I think the market can move higher. And in terms of earnings, we've actually gotten a couple of companies in the last two weeks with decent numbers. Lulu, McCormick, Paychex. So 
and even Micron. Micron's reaction mm -hmm. to the numbers uh, yesterday were, was really something in, important to watch because the, these stocks already reflect so much bad news. And I think the overall sentiment is still so much negative, so much so negative. And I also think that you have seen some rotation out of equities into fixed income because there is an alternative. And that's the other piece of the story on the markets this year, year to date. Well, now, now people are using mega caps like fixed income, like, you know, flight to yeah. some sort of safety or defense in nature. Regionals continue to rebound, right? The K KRE, uh, the ETF, is up 7% in March. Uh, that's actually from the March 23rd crisis low. I, I should preface that even further. From the March 23rd low, it's up 7%. You bought more Schwab yep. yesterday. Today got downgraded to equal weight from overweight at Morgan Stanley. Target gets cut to 68 from 99. What do we think? Well, when I read what do you think about that call and why did you buy more yesterday? Oh, I'm going to continue to buy it because I just started buying it when it was down 30 percent two and a half weeks ago. So I, I still think it's a bargain. I still think that even if earnings are going to be disappointing, which they probably will be, that I think down 30 percent is already reflecting a lot of bad news. This is the 10th largest bank in the country. It's a premier company. They have liquidity. They can get $300 billion of liquidity if they needed to from the federal programs. They have about $100 billion in cash flow. Um, I know, but you don't want them to be in a position to have to, t have to tap the federal the programs, but right? It's, it's not, That's right. not the issue. But it's, not a, it's not a credit issue, though. Hold on, Josh. It's not a credit issue. It's a mix issue. Deposits are leaving to go to higher yields, right? CDs, money markets. So it's not like they're losing their customer base. Sure, it's going to have an impact on earnings, but it's not a credit crisis crunch for this company. And I, ju I just think that the sentiment is so negative. And so even if numbers come in weak, uh, you know, I think a lot, is, a lot of the bad is reflected in and, and you just have to stay patient. I mean, Josh, you bought it and then bailed shortly thereafter. What did you want to say to what Stephanie was laying out? I didn't bail. I took a profit. I bought it in the 40s and sold it almost 60 three days later. So, well, so bail didn't have a negative connotation like, to it. I'm just saying you you owned it you for know, about it does. you know it a does. week and you made and you made you made a profit and you left. Yeah, bail's not great though. All right, listen, Stephanie is exactly <laughs> right. right. Originally. When this, stock, when this stock cratered, people lumped it in with the regional banks. And if you saw, I mean, it was obvious. Uh, it, it was obvious if you don't know, know anything, you look at it, it's down 20% and First Republic's down 30%. You say to yourself, oh, Schwab must be like at risk of uh, the same thing that the regional banks. Okay, so we know that's not the case now, right? The company very clearly laid out, here's why we're fine. But there's a new issue, and this is not a Schwab-specific issue. Schwab's equity just happens to have become a lightning rod for this issue. Here's the issue. An hour ago, I just literally, in 30 seconds, moved money from Bank of America into the public app. Public is like a, a Robinhood, but non-toxic. It's a, it's a brokerage trading app. It took 30 seconds to buy treasury bills. Like literally, maybe 20 seconds. And I was able to go from 0% on my cash in a checking account at B of A to 4.89% in a six-month T-bill. It's not a fund. It's not a money market. It's literally directly buying T-bills on an app for no cost, and it takes under a minute to do. That's the environment we're in. And in that environment, it's going to be very tough 
for not just Schwab, but everybody in the brokerage side, um, in the bank side, to a lesser extent, the asset management side, to justify these sweep accounts that are barely yielding anything. Money has never been more mobile, and the populace of the United States has never been more comfortable about moving money around with a phone, and that is uh, a side effect of the pandemic. So that's the issue with Schwab. It's that they could under-earn for years relative to what people thought they could earn even three months ago before this whole thing got, got rolling. So I would not look at this as like a crisis anymore. I would just look at it as, oh, wait a minute, they're going to re-rate all of these brokerage stocks because of the sweep yields and what's available elsewhere from the U.S. government. Isn't that, a, isn't that true? Right. It's not a knock on. That's what I said. A, it's not a knock yeah. on Schwab. No, it's just a knock on the environment. A- absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I said. It's not a deposit problem. I mean, it is in, in terms well, it of is it's, if deposits are going problem. elsewhere it's for a, it's better a mi- yield. It's a mixed problem. It's not a customer problem. It's a mixed problem. Well, are they both a problem? Well, no, the right. customers That's are staying right. with them. No, but I'm saying, like... The customers both- are staying with them, and they're just going to higher-yielding assets. That's what I said. Now, that's not... That's... That's okay. That's not going to help earnings, which is exactly why I guess this analyst downgraded well, the stock. Well, that's what it says. The it stock says is they, already down 30 percent. They cite the extended earnings recovery timeline. Right. Not only is it down 30 percent, but it's down 37 percent in the past year. This thing has underperformed. And what I'm saying is I think it's discounting a lot of this, even if the trends continue. All the banks are going to see this. I'm sure they're seeing it at, at rapid rates, right? Why not? It's too attractive to move your money from no yield to a higher yield. So it's not a customer problem. It's not a crisis. It's not a credit problem. It's a mixed problem. And I think that it's an opportunity, given that the stock is down as much as it is. And oh, by the way, the CEO is buying stock, too. But th- this all ties into, into the sentiment in general. So we talked about, Josh made a great point early on. The sentiment isn't that positive right now. And if people aren't positive about stocks, they're going to be moving their money out of banks and in, into treasury bills. But what's going to make that sentiment improve? You can take a look back at 2019, 2018. In 2018, the Fed hiked rates in December after the market had sold off 17%. And the market bottomed three days later. So if you look at it, when did sentiment improve? Was it in January when the market was 10% higher? Was it in March in 2019 when the market was 20% higher? Or was it mid-year when the stock market was, was making new record highs? If the market continues to improve, you're going to see rates come down and you're going to see the money flow back into stocks. And that's where the power, I think, is in, the, is in this, you know, where the environment is, where we could go higher. You make a great point. There could be another shoe that drops. You make a great point. There is growth here right now with 3.2% Fed uh, GDP now, right now, from Atlanta Fed. But it, the market is, the economy is going to slow because you're more credit bullish is going to than tighten. not right now? I'm, I'm pretty bullish right here. And, and I think that we're, we're starting to see you pointed that Michael Burry tweet. There's bears capitulating. If we continue to go higher, we're at a very big inflection point right here in the market. If we push higher, people are going to have to put money into the market, and it's going to take it. It's going to be a huge tailwind. I mean, Art Cashin in the last hour, you know, no one really wants to stick their neck out for the positive side. And he even mentioned maybe I'm sticking my neck out too far on the negative side, thinking there's a 20 to 25 percent chance of retesting the October lows. Yeah. It's not an an insignificant probability. Well, I think there is a lot of negativity out there. And, you know, you you brought up Micron. And I think the negativity around some of these more very cyclical, even though it's a semi, it's very, very, very cyclical. And Jim Cramer made a very good point a couple of days ago. He talked about, this is ahead of Micron's earnings. And he said that these these cycles, inventory cycles go in three years. We're in the third year. And he pointed to the HP CEO who was talking about this has been drawn down. These inventories have been drawn down. The negativity has been drawn down enough. And look at Micron. It's a true. 
true story of the haves and have-nots. What companies have written down their earnings expectations and what companies have not? Micron laid this groundwork six months ago, and that's why it is not trading lower despite double misses. And there's some really great positive things to look at in the environment because a lot of these stocks, they're pricing for 2024 already. What if, what if Josh, people are getting too bulled up or at least trying to make themselves feel that way because they look at the market and say, well, S&P is up 5%. NASDAQ's up 14% or whatever it is this year to this point. And, but it's been so ridiculously top-heavy that it's masking to, in some respects, how you started the show, saying that under the surface, it's not like the story is overwhelmingly positive and easy to, to tell. Look, I, th I think there's a, there are a lot of reasons for why uh, large cap is outperforming small cap once again this year. But one of the more obvious reasons is that large cap companies just have uh, better capitalization. They, they have spent the last three years refinancing and refinancing again at the lowest rates in history. They've got huge amounts of cash. They don't need to tap the markets. So it would make sense in this environment where we know that there's credit contraction either here or arriving soon, sector by sector, region by region, it would make sense that investors would be emphasizing quality, balance sheets versus things that were more popular last year, like cyclicality. So that, that shift in mentality, you could understand where it's coming from. It just so happens that that benefits the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 just purely on a factor basis. What hurts, what makes small caps not look as great? What makes equal weight not look as great? Well, think about how much exposure the Russell 2000 has, A, to more cyclical companies, and B, to banks. <laughs> The, 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 the Russell 2000 is lousy with banks. So that's where you get that outperformance in the S&P. And what do investors do? They chase whatever's working, whatever the, whatever's the hot dot. So, mm -hmm. you know, we could have a reversal, but right it's now the, the momentum is where it is. And you'll see more and more people adopting that trade, especially on a day like March 30th when the quarter is coming to a close and everybody to wants Josh, to look like to they were in on the to, trade that, that worked. Right. Yeah. So to, yeah. Josh, to your point, tech and comp services is 34% of the S&P 500. 75% yeah. of the S&P 500 is more growth, right? And so that is actually been what has been working. It stunk last year, but now it's not only reversion, but it is, it's a flight to safety. But if that's a, it's such a big cohort, right? And so that's why I think the market is actually hung in there because it's I, such a big representation. Well, well, of course, but there's Ab the good and the bad absolutely. with that. There's the good and the bad with that. Um, speaking of, the NASDAQ 100 is on pace for its best quarter since the second quarter of 2020. Yep. Meta's up 72%. It's the second biggest 100 winner quarter to date. Reiterated outperformed today, 305 the price target. That coming from Evercore. There's Meta. So you got $100 upside in their minds. Big winner for you. Big. Well. Big, big loser last big year. Big loser winner. turned into a big winner. Yeah. I mean, the stock is still down 10% in the past year or so, right? But it does. Are you back at even or no? Yes. Yes. I, cause I, because I was averaging down all last year, okay. right? So, I mean, I was wrong last year, but I think that the story is now really um, shaping up in a different sort of way. I thought this year was all going to be about cost cutting, and it is. A lot of it is cost cutting and OPEX and CAPEX, and they've gotten religion and a year of efficiencies or, or whatever they're, they're saying. But I now think that people are starting to figure out that this company actually can grow revenues again, not just from reels. 
click to message is a really big theme. Uh, that could actually be something like a $15 billion revenue uh, run rate for the company by the end of this year. Uh, so they're generating a lot of cash. Hopefully they don't spend as much on meta, but that's actually con kind of like to the side, right? Now we're not even talking about the metaverse really that much with meta. We're talking about the old school company, and that's really the reason why I bought it last year all the way down, because I did believe that there was um, value in, in, the, uh, in the legacy business. I still do. You, you want to take on, Jimmy, um, this issue that <laughs> Laura Martin provocatively puts forth today, the Needham analyst, if Apple were to buy Disney with shares, it could be worth 15 to 25 percent more? Yeah, well, probably outlandish that, th that it would happen, but right, famous last words. Yeah, we haven't played this game in a while, I'll admit that, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a parlor game we've played a lot over the last seven years with, you know, Apple when it went to one trillion market cap, then two trillion market cap. What if they bought this? What if they bought that? I mean, I've got to say, I don't think they're going to buy anything, right? The last big purchase, I know you want the answer to the question, but let me back, give some backdrop. The last big purchase they made was Beats by Dr. Dre. When was that? 2015 for $3 billion? Um, so, look, I think, I think they could be stronger together. That would certainly help the Apple TV program. I mean, Apple would have a new business line. Everybody's wondering what their new business line is going to be. Is it going to be a car? Are they actually going to, you know, open a bank? Things like that. But um, unfortunately, this parlor game, it just leaves me cold because there's so many things they could buy and they just haven't for years. Bill, you got both of these stocks. I think if anybody's acquiring something, it's Disney is going to acquire something else. And, and Iger is going to make a splash somewhere. Mm. But I, I think both are very unlikely at this moment. And, and if, but if something, if I had to look at something being more likely to be Iger making a move. Josh, I, I'm fascinated to hear your opinion on this. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this segment in the first place. It's, unimag it's unimaginable to me. Um, just looking back at the history of Apple, I think the biggest acquisition we've ever seen them do was a headphones company. So I, I, just, uh, I just, it's hard for me to imagine a universe in which they feel compelled to take something that big on and, and get into businesses they've never been in before, like theme parks and cruise lines. And I just, uh, I, I really don't understand the, the provenance of this idea. It's, it's like a, a fever dream, or maybe somebody, like there were edibles involved. I don't really, <laughs> I, I can't picture it. Watch, it, it'll happen tomorrow, and then you guys can rerun this clip, but I, I don't know. Right, no, believe I don't me, know, we man. will. You'll be hearing from Laura Martin, by the way. You know where to find him, Laura. Shout out to Laura Martin. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're great. <laughs> All right. Coming up, our call of the day, a big upgrade for one retail giant. The committee weighing in on that next. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Our call of the day is Walmart. Why? Because it was upgraded today to outperform at Evercore, the price target to 160. The firm says there's improving traffic trends. There's the stock. It's not doing a whole lot, Stephanie Link, hmm. today on this call. You own Target. I know you like that one better. But how about this right now? Well, when I read this note, I kind of said the same thing can be said for Target, right? So they're seeing better top-line momentum. They're gaining market share, especially at the upper end. They're defensive for trade down. Inventories are improving. The the difference is Target actually trades at 18 times forward. Walmart trades at 24 times forward. And that's why I, I, I gravitate more towards Target. But it will be interesting because there is a catalyst for Walmart next week on the 5th of April. They actually have an analyst day. Um, and so I think that they'll have uh. great long-term kind of, you know, uh, kumbaya moment, if you will, with the analyst community. And I think that's really the, one of the catalysts for the shares. But I, I, do you think I it's trying Target. To, do you think this call is trying to get ahead of that? I do. I do. But I mean, I don't think they're going to say anything that's going to be really game changing, but just reinforcing that things are very good at the company. And this is a stable company and it's a staple, too. Well, just a, you said it's a staple. Here's the problem with some of these staples right now is they're at these high multiples. I think Walmart's at 23. We don't own any any really hardcore staples like that. Well, that's it, why I said Target. Yeah. Target is now a, by the way, it is a staple in, in, yes, in the yeah, constitution. Yes, and I, I can, we own McDonald's. I consider McDonald's yeah, a staple. It's a capital light business, and that's why I like McDonald's. But we, we're nearly 50% tech right now, so some, some areas are going to have to be sacrificed, and staples are that, because overall, I think they're a little high on multiple, and I'm a little nervous about the consumer, even though I'm more upbeat about the economy You're broadly. You're 50% in tech? Yes, nearly 50% in tech right now. Yeah, we've been like that. So you uh, like double the, the market. Yes. Well, tech and communication services. But yes, yes, we, we are very bullish in tech with uh, semiconductors. Uh, NVIDIA is our largest position. AMD is number number six. Micron number four or five. Jimmy, how about Walmart? Y you know, I've been telling you for quite some time, I'm looking in retail. I'm looking in retail. I haven't pulled the trigger. Sometimes I feel a little self-incrimination about that. You but consider this, I mean, I feel like they're two I, different conversations. Retail and this. I mean, yeah. right, when you start, as to Steph's point, staples versus retail. Yes, it's a retail establishment, but. Okay. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll grant you that, but I, I, here's where I'm going. Here's where I was going with that is in terms of retail in general, whether it's staples or the super discretionary stuff that I'm in, right? Like Win, like GM, right? That is a call on my part that I don't think we're going to have a recession. Scott, yes, I do think the chances have gone up, but I still don't have a recession as my base case. If I started to get into a recessionary mindset, Walmart's exactly what I'm looking at. Josh Brown, what about you? How do you look at a stock like Walmart? I wouldn't buy it because I think there's a recession coming. It's not like Walmart loves a recession. Uh, maybe it goes down less than other stocks. If you're really concerned about like macro stuff and recession, don't even bother with stocks. Buy GLD uh, or make that a part of your portfolio. Um, it's about 5% from its all-time high, which it hit in the summer of 2022. Um, a lot of people think gold is an inflation hedge. That's not actually what it does. 
gold is the type of instrument that does well when there is mass concern about the banking system or the global economy or whatever. That's what asset managers reach for. They start making it a 1% sleeve in their portfolio. The people that had it at one make it three. Like that's, that's what you want to do here if that's your real concern. I don't do that personally, but taking a look at the technicals in gold, taking a look at the net inflows to gold, just had the first month of net inflows going back to April of 2022. Uh, so almost a year since we've seen this. That's the trade that will work in that environment. I, I agree with Josh here big time. I mean, I think I like, I like gold, gold a lot. I, we have a 6.5% with that tech as well. But we also have a 6.5% allocation to gold and gold miners. And Josh pointed the technicals there. Gold's hanging up extremely well, extremely technical. But, you know, you got to be careful. It's, one of those, it's a very volatile asset. But I, I'm, I'm upbeat right here in the environment that I see going forward with the Fed lifting their foot off the gas. And that's why I'm bullish on tech. I like having gold to lean on in the portfolio and avoid the staples. In fact, if you look at some of the, the technicals, talking about the NASDAQ, the relative strength of outperformance using the staples as a denominator to look at a chart with, with the Qs. The Qs are really breaking out in that pattern right now. All right. Uh, speaking of charts, we have our chart of the day next. It's a stock more than doubling off its 52-week low. It's one of Stephanie Link's stock summit picks, which, by the way, we're going to go through the summit. We're at the end of the first quarter, so we're going to look at some of the winners and losers when we come back. And do not miss a special CNBC Pro Talk tomorrow on how top women in finance are putting money to work. It's hosted by our very own Addie Martell, featuring halftime committee members Jenny Harrington, Liz Young, Bryn Talkington. You go, Patty. For more, go to CNBC.com slash Pro Talks. We're right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Just three days after the shooting at Covenant School in Nashville that claimed the lives of three children and three adults, the city is demanding change. As lawmakers headed into session earlier this morning, parents, their children, and students rallied outside of the Tennessee State Capitol building advocating for stricter gun laws. Meantime, nationally, it is baseball's big day. For the first time since 1968, all 30 teams are set to play their first games on the same day, with the New York Yankees and San Francisco Giants opening the series at 1.05 Eastern time and my Red Sox and Orioles at Fenway at 2. And Lolita, the 7,000-pound orca, is expected to be released back into the ocean after spending more than 50 years in captivity at a Miami aquarium. Lolita is believed to be around 57 years old, the oldest orca to be held in captivity, and will live out her remaining years off the coast of Washington State. Scott, back over to you. Okay. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Let's get to our chart of the day now. Shares of GE nearing a new 52-week high, up double digits this month. One of Stephanie Link's stock summit picks. Man, this thing is up, what, 43% in the quarter, nearing a new high. It's up 101% off the 52-week low. You said you were going to be patient with this when you got in. 
through all of that. <laughs> this is finally paying off. Finally, I know. I, and I bought more when they announced the spins, right? That was, to me, the catalyst for me to be even bigger. Um, and so they spun off the GE Healthcare, which I also own, and it's been a really good performer. Um, and they will eventually do the renewables power in January of next year. So it's a, it's a story that's getting more simple to understand. And you're, you're left with the aviation business, which is top-notch. Uh, and, and their analyst meeting on March 9th, they reiterated all their targets for the full year, but then they raised numbers in organic growth and margins for the long term. Nobody really expected that on the day the stock rallied five percent but I think that's what is carrying the momentum is power the weakest link yes. of the three big units of healthcare and aviation and then power yes but you know it's starting to get better in terms of profitability right they're really eating out those costs and 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 really trying to figure that out so I'm not hundred percent sure I'll be involved in that piece of the GE spin but uh, the, the aviation and healthcare for sure all right so that was the biggest winner of your stock summit picks Broadcom up 12 percent so you've gotten a nice move from this tech and growth and chip yeah. move as well. What about it going forward, though? I like it. It's actually lagged the semiconductor sector year to date. It's only up 12%, but right. of course it was. Semis, have, I think, doubled that or yeah, something no, like they're, that. They're, but this one actually outperformed last year, right? It was a little bit more defensive. So it's AI, it's data center, it's cloud, it's all the buzzwords. It's also Apple exposure. And by the way, you also get shareholder value returns, right? They're buying back stock. They're incre they just increased the dividend last quarter. So I still like it very much, and I think they're very well positioned. Yeah, but financials down 7%. Um, that's what happens when you have the issue well, around the regionals, did. obviously. Um, you rethink that, though, going forward here? No, no, you don't have to stick with this necessarily for the entire year. Yeah, no, not so, not, not so much. You know, we try to buy low, sell high, right? I mean, I have been adding to the banks, you know. I mean, Bank of America, and we talked about Schwab earlier. Yeah. So it's, it's a slog right now. We have to see how the whole thing pans out. And if we go into a recession, it's not going to do well as a sector. But I do think there are pockets of opportunity uh, for the longer term. So keeping an eye on it in the short term. All right, Mr. Winner over there, uh, Boeing up 9%, Cleveland up 11%, Paramount up 27%, Industrials up 2%, green across the board for your three stocks and your sector. Yay, Jimmy. Um, look, it's early in the year. It is early in the year. Got to build you up before we knock you down. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think I see. Haven't that you coming. learned anything? You would think I see it coming. No, look, it's early in the year. But that that spectrum of port of, of companies that I just listed there, um, that's playing for the win, Scott. I mean, that's playing for. I don't think there is going to be a recession, and that's how I'm positioned. Uh, if there is a recession, those nice gains are going to turn red. I mean, that, those stocks are not going to hold up in a recession. Well, you you've you've had to be. Just given what's really won mm -hmm. so far this year, how it's been such a tech and communications heavy run, you've had to really be a stock picker's stock picker it, to it, have that kind of performance three months in. Um, it is true. Thank you. I'll take the compliment. I'll also you know, show some integrity here and say that these stocks were up massively more than this a month ago. So they have, if you look at the one month performance, it's underperformed the S&P 500 of all three of them, and they've been terrible. Um, but you know, part of the discussion in the A block about what's the market telling us is, is the sentiment good or not? Part of this give back is that there were just tremendous gains in the first two months of the year. We know that. Right? I mean, there were just tremendous gains in the cyclicals, in the high beta, in the kind of crummy stocks. So some of that had to be given back. So, Josh, for the 12 percent that Chubb was down, Ulta was up the same amount. Nextera is down. I mean, energy has been a, a disappointment. Uh, and aerospace defense up up 2%. When you look through your picks, what do you think is going to happen here 
let's just say one quarter now in front of us? Well, I think the main thing here is that none of them have anything to do with each other. There's nothing thematic about, that, uh, about this particular mix of uh, holdings. And I guess that's probably why uh, I like what I did. And uh, I don't think that that's a basket that's designed to crush the market. But I think in the fullness of time, we get through the end of the year, uh, all of these companies have individual reasons, specific catalysts as to why they should have good years on their own. I mean, I, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens, but that's at least, that's my read of them circa December, whatever, when, when I was asked to select them. Okay, uh, I hear you. Uh, we are right back. Uh, Santoli with his midday word is next. We're back. Uh, Bill Baruch has a new move, and it's in energy, which is uh, still attempting its bounce back. Crude oil right now above 74 bucks. What'd you do? I added Pioneer Natural Resources. It's a name that we owned for the last two years. We cut it uh, at the turn of the year. It's a little nervous about the price of oil. These these uh, exploration and production companies, they're very tethered to the price of oil. And and I was worried we'd get down below 80. Now, we've flushed out a bit. I'm getting a little more upbeat um, with, I, I think there's going to be a China impulse later this year. It's going it's really going pick to pick up as well. People are getting negative about the, uh, the Permian and shale production picking back up. And I think we'll start to see that a little bit of uptake and we'll see a little bit of uh, more production come online from from them 13 percent dividend as well i think it's just a really great place to be and add to what do you think about energy here a couple is, things is this me, bounce in crude legit i think short-lived i think it is i mean there may be a little give and take but one thing i just want to echo that bill said is there are there's a growing chorus of people saying that the shale well production is declining a lot faster than anyone expected. All right, that's a negative on supply. Uh, Scott, you and I have had a discussion in, this week about the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They're eventually going to have to refill that. I mean, we are we are below. Well, the you want to wait till it gets back to 80 to do that? No, <laughs> no, I don't. But uh, it's not my call. Um, and I think they're trying to work that around the debt ceiling. I mean, frankly, I don't think the government, when they're looking at the debt ceiling, is really eager to go out and spend on a you know, a few hundred million barrels of oil, but they should, Scott, they should. Steph, how about this space? I'm overweight. Uh, I was double my bench last year, mm -hmm. um, a little less than that because I took some gains early in the beginning of the year. But actually, the pullback, um, I started adding back uh, some Diamondback Energy. But I take the barbell approach. Uh, so Chevron is kind of like the big blue chip company with a good yield, steady businesses, diversified businesses. Um, Diamondback is the EMP, quite the opposite. There's a lot of beta there. Um, and uh, I think, though, that it, the fact that it's down 5% of the year, trades at six times earnings, and they're doing all the right things finally. They're doing all the things that Chevron has been doing for years. They're buying back stock and increasing the dividends and that sort of thing. The yield is 9% given all the special dividends that they've had. So. Yeah. I have some breaking news I want to get to with our Steve Leisman in Washington uh, regarding the Fed. Uh, Boston Fed President Susan Collins about to speak at the NAB Economic Policy Conference. What's she going to say, Steve? Yeah, here, uh, Scott, we have two officials talking right now. Tom Barkin, also from Richmond, out uh, just on the wire now, and Susan Collins here at the NAB meeting. Uh, Collins is going to say that some additional policy tightening 
will be needed. And Barkin's going to say policy will need to be nimble. If inflation persists, we can react. We, the Fed, that is, by raising rates further. He says a range of outcomes, uh, the range of outcomes is wide. Now, on the issue of the banking turmoil and the impact on the uh, economy, uh, Collins will say increased, there's increased uncertainty about monetary policy. Banks are likely to take a more conservative outlook on lending, and reduced bank lending may partially offset the need for additional rate hikes. Now, uh, Barkin is going to talk about this idea. He sees that both of them, by the way, see the banking system as sound and resilient. Barkin going on to say that he doesn't see any change at all, really, in deposit or in, 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 in uh, uh, lending out there or, or in deposits right now. He says lending pullback would limit consumer spending, business investment uh, as well. But it's too early to know if that's going to happen. Tightening credit, he says, could bring inflation down relatively quickly. But inflation, he says, could take time to return to target. And he has his doubts that that's going to happen. So, uh, guys, Scott, you can see, essentially, if you look, I want to see if there's been any impact at all in the probabilities. And mm -hmm. I don't see it. What I do see is a slight increase, 57% right now. Uh, in the idea of the Fed hiking back up to that five, five and a quarter range, but a 42% probability of no change. And really, that's kind of the way these guys sound, a little bit leaning towards that hike, but with some reluctance because they don't know the impact of the bank turmoil on the economy. And I think that's going to be the, uh, the Fed uh, mantra now for a few, at least a few weeks till we see how this banking it, situation works itself out. It, it's still... It still feels, though, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that the prevailing view among Fed presidents at this moment remains we can continue to fight inflation and have the tools to put out other fires if, in fact, they should start as long as they're not too large. I think that's an excellent analysis, Scott, and I can actually back it up with some comments uh, that were made by these two officials. Uh, Barkin will say not every bank failure is a Lehman Brothers. And I think that's important, that they can have bank failures um, and you, can you don't necessarily uh, are going to have a major disruption to the economy. And Collins is also saying that the Fed will use whatever tools is necessary that are necessary in order to stabilize the banking system. So um, this idea of there being a two-track that they can handle monetary policy and inflation with the monetary policy tools and the banking with the supervision tools, that's the mantra at the Fed. And that's why I think they're probably leaning towards it. We get some vital inflation data tomorrow, Scott, as you know, um, and there'll be a lot more data to come. And then we'll have to watch, for which there is not terrific data, and I'm trying to figure out what that is, what's happening with bank credit, bank tightening, and the impact that could have on the macroeconomy. I mean, the, the other point, too, um, I'm just looking at the regional bank ETF, which, which some are pointing out as we're having this conversation, is down. It, it, may, it may, if we can throw up the KRE um, intraday, guys, please, while we're having this conversation. Um, it's somewhat unsettling, I, I think, as we, we are seeing that go to the lows of the day. Um, that, you know, on one hand, Collins says, yeah, you know, banks are going to continue to rein in their lending. But we're going to keep tightening anyway uh, because inflation is not yet to the point where we feel like we can stop. Um, they better get it right. They better get it right. So I, I, since this thing began, Scott, I've maintained that the importance of the credit tightening is going to run through the inflation numbers in that the Fed is as concerned as you suggest, and you're right about that, 
uh, is so concerned about inflation that the extent to which the bank tightening credit matters, and if it's not a systemic risk issue, the extent to which that matters, it matters the effect on the macroeconomy and on inflation. The trouble is that takes time. And so essentially, as we've talked about before, the, the Fed is having a little experiment here. This idea is, is, a, is a concept that they can run monetary policy and financial stability with different tools and that the twain aren't necessarily meeting immediately. What the two here are pointing out is the possibility they will meet and whether they want to take that gamble come the May meeting, raise that quarter, uh, which would be 50 basis points of tightening since the bank uh, turmoil began. It seems like they're kind of leaning that way if the inflation numbers remain high. Yeah. Good stuff, Steve. Thank you for the latest. We'll see you uh, throughout the rest of this afternoon. I'm you're certain of that. That's Steve Leisman uh, joining us there. Oh, Up Scott, next, Mike Santoli. Scott. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, there's one more thing, right, which is we're going to get that H41 at 430 today, which is going to inform those bank stocks and find out how much lending there's been at the window and the new, um, uh, the new Fed facility. So that's something else to keep on your radar. Oh, good. And yours, too. And uh, that means we'll see you probably multiple times over the rest of this afternoon. Steve Leisman, thank you. <laughs> Santoli, he's next with his midday word. Right, we're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here for his midday word. Um, I mean, if you want to play off what Leeson sure. was just telling us from Boston uh, Fed Prez Collins. Not particularly new, but it shows you after you've run 6% in the S&P in two and a half weeks, which is what we've done. And yes, it's all been the, the very big stocks doing most of the work. Um, the news has to be better <laughs> to keep us up there. So I think the last hike, if this is what we're looking at, is almost always going to be a close call. Uh, the things we're worried about are not going to be manifest for a little while. So I don't see a lot of um, you know, huge swings in the outlook from what was said there. But it's a reminder that uh, you don't get any all clears uh, in this type of environment. No, but to, to your point, though, the, the market's done OK. It's recovered yeah. quite well since the, the, the banking crisis, right. if you want to yeah. call it that. It's probably given them a, a good bit of feel yeah, that they can do it. Yeah, I would say that's part of it. I don't think they're necessarily fixated on every tick in the S&P. No, but it's if it was an market. ugly market picture yeah. since then, I can't imagine that they'd be sitting there thinking, yep, we're going. Perhaps. Uh, but I think it's much more about credit is held together, and we yeah. haven't really seen a lot of macro uh, stress. So All right. Uh, yeah. We're stressed on time. I'll see you in a I couple hours. All right. That's Mike Santoli. Final trades are next. All right, join me 3 o'clock Eastern time, closing bell. We have a big show coming up. The PIMCO playbook from Aaron Brown, number one. We got a lot more Fed speak, too, this afternoon. So I'm sure you're going to see Steve Leisman again. Joe Terranova, Victoria Fernandez, I will see you a couple hours' time. Let's do final trades. Stephanie Link. Slumberjay, or now. The first word. <laughs> Slumberjay, which is now called SLB. SLB. Uh, it's down 17% from its highs. It trades at 16 times earnings. This is the number one company in the industry. So I think it's on sale, and I like the margin story and the pricing power. Baruch. Micron, double missed this week, double missed at the end of December. Stock isn't going down. Beautiful technical setup, and the CEO is saying demand is going right. to outstrip supply. Josh Brown. I think the oil stocks are, are trying to bottom here. I like the odds. Okay. IEO is the way I'm invested in this space. Give me a name. Same thing. CVS is bottoming. All right. Good stuff. I'll see you on the closing bell. Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.